Welcome, everyone, to this special episode of Phil Interrupted. This is the Behind the Curtains Hunting a Killer episode. Today I'll be talking a little bit about the uh, fictional drama radio play of sorts that I put together with my wife, Jessica. We're going to talk a little bit about that today, some of the uh, behind the scenes of how it came together. And, uh, yeah, that's what we're going to get into here. So there's the dramatic music, the theme of hunting a killer in the background. Oh, so dramatic. This is like one of the first songs I found. But we're going to get into that. We're going to get into that. Let's first uh, sort of back up here and explain a few things about the Hunting a Killer podcast So before we get too, too far into this, I want you guys, if you have not already listened to the Hunting a Killer podcast, you need to, or else this isn't going to make any sense, and there's going to be some spoilers in here. In addition to that, uh, you know, actually, you may may not care about spoilers. Maybe you just want to hear this, and then you'll listen to that show later if you haven't already. I guess that's up to you, but for those of you who have not listened to the Hunting a Killer podcast, there are spoilers ahead. So, again, if you want to review the podcast and check them out yourself, Hunting a Killer on the Phil Interrupted RSS feed, it's episodes 79, 81, 82, 85, 87, 90, 94, and episode 100. Or you can also go onto Apple Podcasts and do a search for Hunting a Killer, and it should come right up. The eight episodes... The show was eight episodes. So how this sort of came together was for Christmas one year, uh, it was a year or two ago now, I wasn't sure what to get my wife, but her and I really like true crime and serial killers and really dark shows. We're messed up people, man. We're sick. And I don't know. We have a fascination with it. We like those Dateline shows, uh, 48 Hours, And any of the documentaries that come out, you know, all those documentaries on Netflix, I'm totally forgetting all of them right now, but there's a ton of them. The Staircase, blah, 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 uh, the Stephen Avery one, you know, Making a Murderer. I mean, those are the big ones, but I also listen to, like, true crime podcasts, Serial, obviously, was one of the original type. Somebody Knows Something. There's a whole bunch of them out there. I mean, there really are a ton. So anyways, we're into that. I think a lot of you guys probably are too. It's interesting, like really wild stuff, why these people do things and what their motivations are and how stupid they are too. Anyway, so with that in mind, I thought of a Christmas gift and I said, I looked around on the internet and I found this website that distributes a monthly game. It's a subscription service and it's called Hunt. A killer. See, we got the name from that. We just changed it to hunting a killer. And it's, like I said, a monthly subscription. And what it is, I can actually see it in front of me. I have a bunch of them. It comes in a little cardboard package. Oh, my God. I'm going to kill these dogs. Okay. And I'm back. I had to stop the show there. I had to go lock up my dogs. They would not stop barking. Driving me insane. They're driving me so it's pretty cool it's a game and like i said it comes in the cardboard box and you open it up and it has all sorts of different stuff in it and we had no idea what to expect like we didn't know what the storyline was i had no idea i just know it was advertised as we'll send you monthly thing and you get to track down a serial killer and try to like solve a case that's all we knew so i figured that was right up our alley so we get the first package i believe it was either right before right after christmas we open it up And we're a little confused by it because it is very abstract. It's confusing. It's not very straightforward. Um, It sort of set the stage. It had like the welcome letter from Listening Friends of America. And again, if you have not listened to the podcast, Hunting a Killer, you probably don't want to listen forward because I'm going to spoil stuff. But So we get the welcoming letters and the letters from John William James, which is our main suspect throughout the show. And we got all these different things, and there's weird postcards in it, and there's a compass, and we're like, what is all this nonsense? Like, there's a lot of confusing things that come in these packages. And basically, there's a lot of puzzles that you have to figure out. Some of them are are with words. 
uh, like mixed into the paragraph. Some you have to piece together. Like it's very, very hard to explain. And it was very hard to explain when we did the show. Uh, some of these, some of these tricks and things you had to figure out. Puzzles were very simple. Others were so complicated that we had a really hard time trying to explain to the audience how we do it. And I think it, it was a little confusing at times. So I apologize for that, but we didn't know what we were getting into. And so we had fun opening it and sort of, you don't you're not going to figure everything out in one package okay the first season was eight packages and there's more seasons since and i think they're each six packages so they made them a little bit smaller a little more condensed and like i said you're not going to figure it all out from one you're not going to figure it out from two or three or four it kind of takes a while for everything to start building and start coming up with theories and stuff so we we opened the first package. We went through it. We made the sense of, of what we could. There was a lot of Greek mythology. It was very confusing. And I came up with this idea in my head. I said, wow, maybe this could be enough material to generate a podcast, like a show idea. And maybe we could do something with this where we pretend to be detectives. The dogs are still barking. My apologies. Where we pretend to be some sort of police. Hold on. Be quiet! Sorry about that. Maybe we could pretend to be some sort of a police force or something like that. And we're on this case. Like this is the case given to us. So I went down to the studio where I'm at now. And I recorded a small bit that I had written up like a paragraph or two. And it was kind of like an introduction to the show idea. And it's the very first thing you actually hear in episode one. And that's what I wrote down. Not even really knowing what this case was about. Just kind of making up some cop drama type stuff. So I wrote this little brief script, recorded it. And then I found that song that I opened this show with the theme to the hunting a killer podcast. I love that song. It's super dramatic, super awesome. And I found that song right away. I was like, Oh wow, this really fits perfect. And I just mixed it in. Right. And then I had also written a very small outro. So I'd written an intro and an outro. And I recorded them, and it was maybe, I don't know, seven minutes long, six minutes long. And then I rendered it out into an MP3, and I showed my wife, and I said, what do you think of this? And at first, she cracked up. She thought it was really funny. Like, she's like, wow, you sound so silly, so dramatic. But I was like, yeah, but think of all like the ideas that we could do with this. She's like, yeah, actually, she's like, that could be really fun. So that's really sort of where the idea was generated. It was kind of just on a whim. And we had a lot of fun going forward with it. Now, quite a few of the shows, because we're getting the package each month and we have to figure stuff out, we had no idea where the storyline was going. And I think we did a really good job of keeping it on a good, like straight and narrow, like pathway, you know, like to an ending. But we were definitely confused every time we opened a package and we we're like all right now how can we make this into an interesting show each episode and how can we evolve like evolve the plot and move things along so it was definitely a challenge so like a lot of like the letters that you hear in it we're reading directly from the things that we got but we also have a lot of our theories that we're mixing in and us uh Doing our own script. I mean, we wrote huge scripts for each one of these shows, describing all of the materials that we got uh, within a box. And again, like I said, our theories of going forward, we had no idea where this case was going to take us. And it took us on a lot of twists and turns that we certainly weren't expecting. So some of the first few episodes, some of the theories that we have and things that we're going off of end up being kind of incorrect uh, you know, maybe they threw us for a few um, loopholes, you know, tried to confuse us, a few di diversions to get us off track. And I think that is certainly possible. Uh, and I'll get into a few of the, uh, the episodes here towards the end. So that's sort of, um, in a nutshell, how the idea came together. And I don't think, in my personal opinion, I mean, this is a show that I did. Episode one and two are great. But I think that we were really finding our feet when we did that. And I think by episodes three, four, five, six, and so on to the end, I think you could really see that we, we kind of figured out how we were going to do the show, how we were going to lay out the show. Because, again, we had no idea how we were going to do this once we got on the materials. We're going to 
what are we going to do first? How are we going to connect things so that it makes sense within the show, within uh, from other shows, so they understand the connections, the interlocking that's going on? A lot of planning went into this and a lot of script writing. So, yeah, it kind of developed. Like I said, like over the first episode or two, we kind of found our footing and figured out, okay, this is how we're going to do this. So let's talk a little bit about the music because, of course, for me, if you've ever listened to the show before, I'm obsessed with music and stuff and soundtracks, and I find that kind of stuff to be incredibly important within a movie or TV show or audio podcast, whatever it may be. Soundtracks are vitally important, and I spent an insane amount of time going through soundtracks for this podcast. So at work... I'm lucky enough that I work in a pretty loud environment, so we're allowed to wear headphones. And you can listen to music, the radio, podcasts, whatever it is you want to listen to. They don't care, right? So I generally listen to a ton of podcasts. That's 98% of what I listen to while I'm at work. But this is like, all right, I got to find some good music, and I got to find music that's that can be dramatic, that can be sad, music that can be... Good background music, too. It was really important that I find subtle background music that wasn't intrusive on all of this dialogue that we're going over. Because it's very dialogue, information heavy. There are information dumps in every episode. We're just throwing stuff that we've figured out from each package at the listener. And it's a lot of information. Uh, I know a few of my friends have had to listen to each episode a couple times to grasp it all. And I get that. I get that. We couldn't figure out any other way to condense it. There was just so much information and we didn't know what was important and what wasn't going to be important going forward. So we included everything that we, that we possibly could. And I had to find music that matched each parts of that. Like there's some parts where there's peaks and valleys in a, in a show like this in a, a radio drama, like a radio play. So sometimes you're going to need that dramatic music to bring the audience up. Other times you have to find that mysterious music. Other times you need to just have that like like drone behind. And I found it so intriguing and so much fun to put that together. So I'm just going to go over a couple songs here that I thought were really the most important songs in the podcast. The first one, of course, being the theme that I played in the beginning here. We'll play a little bit more. This song really, I feel, sets the stage. You know, it gets you in the mood for what is coming ahead. And it's it's in the beginning of every episode, obviously. And there's always some sort of a part where our characters are talking to each other. And it's leading into basically where the episode is going to go. And I always tried to make the beginning of every episode interesting. Usually I try to find a middle spot and an ending spot to do something interesting. And what I mean by interesting is generally dialogue between Jess and I and our characters are Detective Allen, which is me, and Special Agent Jess, and we're supposed to be in the FBI. That's our whole idea for this. That's our gig. So I tried to come up with interesting ways to start each show so it wasn't just us immediately spitting out dialogue so it sounded like you were essentially listening to like a TV show, you know, so you have your little two, three, four minute intro okay, now the theme music comes on and now we drop into the rest of the episode kind of like a hooker to get you interested right so I did it that way a lot and at the end the music would also come back and it would have a dramatic fade out with the same music so yeah I thought it worked really well and I was very happy with the song and like I said this is one of the first songs that I found it absolutely absolutely fit the hunting a killer vibe perfectly that I was looking for The second one I want to play for you, let me cue it up so that I got here. Like I said, I pulled from a bazillion soundtracks. I mean, it was all I went through while I was at work, was just soundtrack after soundtrack after soundtrack, TV show soundtrack, video game soundtracks. It was unbelievable how many I went through. I kid you not, I really, I never counted... But I believe I probably went through hundreds and hundreds of soundtracks to find exactly the music I wanted. I would search sci-fi soundtracks, crime soundtracks, trying to find the different vibes that I was looking for. One of the websites was actually called co.ag. 
and it's on YouTube. And he does a lot of really good bedding music, music that you can put underneath dialogue and it won't overpower it or take away from it. It's just really good background music. Very ambient, atmospheric. It was perfect. I use a ton of him throughout the show. I also use a ton of this guy. It's royalty free. He says use it. I also use a ton of it in like the spooky, creepy places episodes of Phil Interrupted, things like that where I need to have sort of something below my voice to also generate interest and uh, an atmosphere. So I use a lot of him, and I definitely want to give him kudos. If you need music, go to co.ag on YouTube. Really, really excellent stuff. And I pulled from, again, like I said, tons of soundtracks. There's so many to go through that I can't even get started. But, you know, there was stuff from Black Mirror. God, I would have to actually pull up my files here and look through. Tons of stuff. Of course, a lot of the, the famous CSI and stuff like that pulled things from um, all sorts of detective shows. You name it, right? Sci-fi stuff. One that I found that was awesome. So my wife and I watched the Deepwater Horizon movie one night. Have you ever seen it? It's about the true story of the oil rig, the Deepwater Horizon that caught on fire. And remember that horrible golf, the Gulf oil spill that we had where it was just pumping like 80 bazillion trillion gallons of oil into the Gulf. Yeah, okay, we remember that. This is the story of that, Deepwater Horizon. And throughout that movie, I was like, oh my god, I love this soundtrack. It has the exact vibe I'm looking for for our Hunting a Killer podcast. So I think I discovered it fairly quickly into production of the show. And I went on, and I like, think there was like 10 or 11 tracks on the soundtrack. And I th- swear to god, I think I used like nine or ten of them i used almost the entire soundtrack on different parts of the show loved it and it became kind of a running theme so i've actually been playing some of the main song that i used throughout the um the show behind us and i really like this synth line here i'll show you so this is one of the main songs that i used throughout the show this is a reoccurring theme happens in like romantic moments between Jess and I it also happens in major moments of the case we're trying to solve things hear that real simple synth it's real subtle again it's not going to completely overshadow any of the the voices that you're hearing, you know? Real smooth. Yeah, that one, this is such a major one. I use this, God, quite a few times. And using the rest of the soundtrack, the soundtrack also builds off this main theme song in that actual movie. So it uses a lot of the same sounds and synths and aggressive sounds in certain areas like and it worked perfectly uh there's one episode where there's a nightmare sequence and i jacked one of the songs from this soundtrack and it was perfect but we'll talk about that in just a little bit so that is the one song the deep water horizon soundtrack i used a ton from and throughout all the episodes, there's this little interlude music, right? It's like, boom, 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 And I wanted to find something because there's so much information coming at you. And there's Jess and I, for the most part, are your two main characters. I wanted to try to build a little bit of time for the listener to sort of digest the things that you just heard. Maybe give you a little breather from all of the information. So I was like, I got to find a little interlude music, right? Something that could just be played periodically throughout the show and something that you'll get used to hearing and you kind of look forward to hearing. Like, you're like, oh, there it is again, and you know it by heart after a few episodes, right? So I was like, okay, what can I find for a little good sort of interlude music? And I actually came upon a song that is used in the show True Detective, the HBO show. I've actually never seen it, which is shocking because I love, like I said, true crime shows, but I have not seen True Detective yet, but I have listened to the soundtrack. So I know every song that's in it. And I found this one song, and it had a a, a real um, very uh, gritty, 
dark. Mm, I'm not even sure what other kind of words I can use to describe it, but I, it wasn't too long and I cut it off. And I was like, oh, that'll be perfect. So I'm going to play that for you. And if you have listened to the show, you'll immediately recognize it because it plays quite a few times throughout the course of the show, like a lot. Very mysterious. Like that little drum roll. Now right there is where I cut it. You don't hear this part, this like humming part. So it was just that beginning, whatever, was that 20 seconds or something, maybe not even, that was good enough to be an interlude for me with a reverse symbol. Okay, now we're into our next segment of the show, our next part, right? So I felt that that worked really well, and I was, I was very happy with that. Let's talk a little bit about the editing that went on. I edited the whole thing. I love editing. It's probably my number one passion about doing podcasts, like recording them, having fun with guests or watching stupid movies, 1970s eco-har, whatever it may be. Obviously, I have fun recording. I don't have fun recording with Smash. That I absolutely hate, but I love recording but I really have a super big passion for editing. So I was psyched that I was going to be able to do some creative things in these episodes. I downloaded over 434 different sounds. That's absurd. Now these are recordings that Jess and I do. These are sounds that I found through playing the hunting a killer game. These are sound effects, birds chirping, there's rivers, there's cars, there's people coughing that I use in parts to sound like you're in a city street. Um, music, uh, and I mean music beyond just the soundtrack music we're talking about. In the one part, uh, Jess's character is listening to a radio station. So I had to make that all blend together. I mean, the list goes on and on and on of sound effects. There's fire sound effects. There's... Oh, Man, I'm brain. F- oh, there's a diner sound effect. There's eating food. I mean, there's typing. I think you get the point. There's a lot of sound effects that try to make the show sound as real as possible. There's texting sounds, phone calls. And I had so much fun doing that. So there's various phone calls, like I just mentioned, between Jess and I. And I had a lot of fun putting a filter on it so that it sounds like it could be, you know, on the other end of a phone call and doing the texting where you actually hear like the texting that you do on a like a smartphone of the actual typing of the 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 letters before you hit send. So putting all that in, it's it's all fake, people. Every sound effect you hear in the show is totally fake. It was just put together to try to build an atmosphere, build a world that maybe you could get lost in and believe was real. It's totally fake. Totally fake. Everything from it is pulled from YouTube and other different um, sound banks that I have of sound effects. And that's the kind of stuff like I get off on. I absolutely love it. So much fun. I'd spend hours editing the episodes. Jess and I would write our scripts, figure out the boxes, and record. It'd take us maybe an hour or so to record our voices. And then I would sit down and edit each episode for like four or five hours, like trying to perfect it. Some of them were even longer. And so let's actually talk about a few of the episodes. Again, if you have any interest in listening to the hunt a killer podcast and you don't want it to be spoiled. You should definitely turn off now. Like I said, episode one was really finding our footing, trying to, we didn't even know what we were going to be doing. Starts with, you know, our major theme song. And then, um, there's not a whole lot of interaction between Jess and I in that first episode. If you notice again, because we didn't really know how we were going to do things. This wasn't really like a super pre-planned idea. So the first episode, there's not not really any interaction between us. Episode two, you notice that all of a sudden now our characters are talking to each other. I actually, I am at a major river in the story at an island where one of our people was murdered at, Weiss Island. And I'm not actually there, but there's river sounds and birds and stuff like that. And I get a phone call from Special Agent Jess, and she's my boss. And I'm telling her about, you know, where I'm at. And and so I'm trying to build an atmosphere, trying to build a real world that you can get lost in for a second. And then I come back to the Philadelphia office and it's me describing all the things that were in the package. And then we're getting into theories. 
And a cool thing that we found in episode two was through searching online. And keep in mind, we didn't we did not want any spoilers ourselves because you could go online and find spoilers for the hunting and killer game online like easy. You could totally ruin it for yourself. So we were very careful and we refused to use any clues or hints. So everything that we talk about on the show was us finding and discovering ourselves, whether it was the right thing or the wrong thing. We used no outside help. But what we did find through our searching was this cool clip of Lloyd McGowan talking to someone who we've never quite figured out who it is. And we were like, oh my God, we have to use this because again, part of building that atmosphere and that world is having other voices beyond just Jess and I talking to you. You got to have other voices. I don't have them a lot, but they are in there to convince you that this is a bigger world, a larger world than just us. So there's, you hear Lloyd McGowan talking to this other person, this tape, and we're investigating it, trying to figure out what it could mean. Come with theories. I thought that was really cool for episode two to have that in there. Episode three starts the intro, the beginning starts with one of the hardest edits that I had to do throughout the whole show. Basically, my character, Detective Allen, has just parked in the city of Philadelphia, where the show is based, and he's going to the FBI headquarters in Philadelphia. Now, I don't, I would assume FBI probably has parking themselves, but in the interest of making the show cool and again building this world, you hear the sound effects of me shutting the door, uh, walking, you hear it's during a thunderstorm. And you hear people walking around me. You hear, like I said, you hear a guy cough. So I put that in. There's some beeping of horns, city atmosphere. And then you hear a door shut and I go into and you hear the clanking of heels walking on like a, like a tiled floor, something like that. And as I approach somewhere, suddenly you hear an FBI uh, security guard and he's like, oh, good morning, Detective Allen, like still raining out there. And here's some behind the scenes. That is my friend, Matt Gehrig. Matt was on the UHF show and he was on the show where we reviewed the thing. So uh, Matt did that for me, did a great job. He was spot on. And it again was just part of building this world, making it seem larger than just us. And I go through the FBI security and then I head into an office and all of a sudden you hear Jess there. And I imagine Jess like, a bunch of uh, people you hear like clutter, you know, like clamoring around of people walking and moving and voices and phones. It's a busy work environment. It's an FBI office. You know, it's like what you see on every TV show when they go into like a police police headquarters, you know. And so that's kind of the vibe I wanted to go with. And I imagine Jess like sitting on a desk, like talking to another coworker. And as I walk in, she turns her attention to me and we talk for a bit. And then I go to my my uh, desk to work on the case more. And then it, and then it's the show settles into again, reading letters and the things that we got in this latest package. And it sort of dives deep now into each package, but building that little world was really important. And one of the cool things that we started to do was Jess and I built a lot of parallels between our real life and our characters in the podcast. What I mean by that is, so Special Agent Jess is Detective Allen's boss. Well, my wife was actually my boss when we first met. She was my supervisor. So we kind of decided like we were going to build like a love story between our two characters, and it was going to have an arc. Basically, it starts from the beginning where you hear, like, I'm like, oh, she's looking hot today, and but she's, got, she's my boss. I got to remember that. And then even when Jess says her parts, you hear a few little things where she's like, I wonder how I can make him relax. Like, there's little subtleties going on that you can pick up on that these characters may actually have an attraction for each other, some sort of affection, right? And it builds throughout the course of the eight episodes, and it does come to a peak in episode seven. And the reason we wanted it to come sort of to a climax, our relationship, our romance on episode seven, instead of the finale episode eight was because we wanted episode eight to be the finale of the whole crime and the investigation. We thought that should be the final episode and to keep interest and on on other plot lines going on throughout the show that our romance should peak in episode seven, you know, so you got it. Things are separated. Not everything is just like all that last episode. And it's like a lot to take in. So I thought that was kind of cool how we built this arc going forward in episode four. It starts with Jess and I at a diner, right? 
And this happened in real life where Jess and I, again, we worked together. She was my boss. And we went out to a diner because we were starting to hang out outside of work. Obviously, we're becoming close, right? And we're like, I hope we don't bump into anybody from work because it might look weird that we're like out having like breakfast together, like a late, I guess it was like a, like an early brunch kind of thing. <laughs> and of course, we bumped into a coworker. So we built that into our story here where our FBI agents are out and we bump into a person who talks to us and it was our friend Sandy. So it's not actually our friend Sandy in the podcast. It's played by a good friend of ours named uh, Karima Cooley, who I actually work with as well. But she was like, she did the voice for it because she's real theatrical and she's good with that stuff. So she did it. We couldn't hook it up with our friend the real Sandy to, to actually do it, which is fine. No worries. And so that's another direct parallel of something that actually happened in Jess and I's real life that we incorporated into our storyline. So we're interrupted at, at the, the diner there, blah, blah, blah. But we're like, Hey, we're, we're, we're working on a case together. You know, who cares? Obviously detectives and stuff go out and work out in the field together. We're having some lunch. No big deal. We're trying to, Hide like it's not a big deal, right? Like cover up so they don't know that we're together or we're coming together. You know, we're getting closer. So there's another thing that's reoccurring that I hadn't quite mentioned yet. We're going to get to, I'm going to talk about episode five here. It starts off with like a nightmare sequence, right? And it's basically, it's meant to completely throw off the listener. It's like a cold start, right? And all of a sudden you're like, what is this Phil talking about? He's like in some weird dark like forest by by the river where a body was found. And what the hell? There's this weird figure there. It's supposed to be very atmospheric. It makes supposed to make no sense to the listener, right? Totally out of character for the rest of the show. And you come to find out that this is a nightmare, okay, that Detective Allen is having. Like I said, it's a cold start. Throws you off. And then the rest of the show goes back into the investigation and whatnot. But I had been foreshadowing through the first four episodes that Detective Allen, the character, was having problems sleeping. You know, he couldn't sleep through the night and he was troubled by the case and he was frustrated by this cold case that he was on. He couldn't figure stuff out and it was really frustrating. He couldn't figure out what was going on with John William James, who again is our main villain, I guess, so to speak, our main suspect. Couldn't figure out what was going on with him. Couldn't put the pieces together as to what the hell is going on in this case. Who's who. And he's having a hard time sleeping. So it leads up to this episode where then there's this nightmare sequence. Throws you off. Throws you for a loop in the beginning. You find out. And then, like I said, goes back into investigating the show. So I had a lot of fun piecing together that nightmare sequence. There's like 80 trillion effects that I used to make that come together. And again, like I said, these are all... Just sound effects, just pieced together. They it builds to a crescendo where I'm like, I'm like closer and closer, and this weird character who you don't know if it's John William James, Lloyd McGowan, just an evil dark shadow villain, is basically coming after Jess. And I wake up, you would imagine like a cold sweat or something, and my character is out of breath. He's like, <sighs> like he just woke up like from having a nightmare, but you hear like an alarm clock beeping and stuff, and the music's fading out. All of it, again, totally fake acting and sound effects. And it's just so much fun to build as realistic of a world as I can just through audio. Love it. My favorite part, editing this stuff. Also, we start to lay the grounds of a Chucky movie marathon throughout this show. And basically, it's saying that Jess loves the Chucky movies, Child's Play, you know, the horror franchise. And my character is like, well, I've only seen the second one, and I, I don't even remember it. Child's Play 2. Again, this is totally true. <laughs> this is real-life stuff. I had only seen that movie once, and I did not remember it at all. And when Jess and I got together, one of the first movie franchises that we watched that we ever watched together was like, like the second time or third time. I think it was the second time we ever hung out. We started watching the Chucky movies together. So we're like, ah, oh, we got to build in Chucky movies into the podcast somehow, right? So we build that in during this one. We say, hey, you know what? We should have like a movie night with Child's Play. So that gets incorporated into this episode. Again, like I said, parallels between our real life and uh, this fictional podcast. When we get into episode six, obviously there's so much going on with the investigation. And I'm not going to go into all those details because there is a lot. 
just sort of going over like the highlight parts and the beginning of episode six, you hear a country music radio station that's out of Philadelphia and it's the real radio station that Jess listens to. And it happens to be like one of our songs, like Jess and I have like two, two main songs that are kind of like our, our songs, you know, maybe even three, I guess maybe you could consider a third one. Anyway, there's really two main ones. It's by this artist, Kit Moore. He's a country guy. I was never in the country until I met my wife and she actually turned me. I used to hate country music. I was one of those people that I could listen to pretty much any style of music. But if you put on country, I was like, "Uh, uh-uh, no, turn it off, get it off. And when you like somebody, you're kind of more likely to give things that they like a chance, you know? And I was like, you know what? Some of the stuff isn't bad. And then I actually started to like some of the songs. And I have to say now, I'm not an avid country listener by any means, but if you have a country radio station on, I don't even notice it. And I actually know some of the songs. Like, it's it does not offend me. It doesn't bother me. I actually like it now. It's kind of amazing that I've come full circle. But anyway, the point is, is that during this episode, it starts off with one of our songs by Kit Moore. And that's in the background. And then Jess starts talking about her day, how she has a day off from work. And then I start texting her, and you hear us texting back and forth. I tell her that... You know, we got another package and she needs to come into the office. So all that was put together through editing. And again, like I said, I keep saying this, there's another parallel between Jess and I in real life. It's our song playing in the background. So just little stuff like that you may not have noticed or picked up on. <laughs> it's also during this episode that my character, like right in the middle of the show, I travel down to a place in Maryland that's right along the Chesapeake Bay, and I go to a lighthouse there, the Concord Point Lighthouse. It's a pretty important thing in our story. And I travel down there, of course not really, but fictionally. I travel down there, and I'm sitting on a bench looking out over the water. See so here, there's sounds of boats. I think there's dogs barking in the background and things like that to try to make it sound very real. And I was I was really happy with how that sort of came out. It was a nice, cool little mix. Rather than just hearing voices talk, 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 mixing in these little areas where it almost sounds like you're, you know, you're following the person around as as they're actually doing stuff. And then at the end of the episode, you hear me turn on my car, and I'm actually driving home to go meet up with Jess to have our movie night. So uh, that was kind of a cool little thing that I thought added into the end of the episode. It's basically leading you into the next episode, and I thought that was kind of a cool idea. Episode 7 does another cold start with Chucky being played, and it is basically just the movie being played and Jess and I talking over it as if we were laying on a couch watching it, you know, at home, and that's exactly what we did in real life. So we incorporate it in the show, we're watching it, and it's late at night, right? Which again happened in real life. <laughs> I think you get the vibe here. And so we're like, all right, we got to call it a night. You know, you, you should go home. It's late. Yeah, absolutely. Sure, no problem. And so she heads to the door, and I grab her arm, and I'm like, I can't let you leave like this. And then I kiss her. So finally. After, uh, what is this, the seventh episode, we've been building towards this moment between our two characters, and we finally kiss, and the characters are psyched, and there's some, like, you know, some really gentle, nice, um, romantic-type music in the background, and that's exactly what happened. Our first kiss was exactly like that. We watched these Chucky movies. She went to leave. It was late at night, and obviously I wanted to kiss her the whole night, and we were obviously, you know, falling for each other. This is real, real-life stuff here. And I didn't want her to leave because we had hung out like another time and we didn't kiss or embrace or anything. So I didn't want her to leave this time without her really knowing how I feel, you know, like take the plunge, Phil, just go for it. You know, I hadn't gone for that first kiss yet and I almost blew it. I almost let her leave again. So I grabbed her, gave her the kiss in real life and we decided to do the exact same moment in this show. This completed our character arc of our romance between uh, the two FBI agents. Obviously, though, by episode seven, the investigation is definitely heating up, and we think that we're starting to get on the right track. We think we have enough evidence to finally pull the trigger to do something in our case and actually go after the people that we think are most likely guilty in our case, but still, we're not quite sure whether it's time to, to go. Go time. We're not quite sure. But we've had all this evidence, like I said, building and all this going on. So we're almost building to the 
the final crescendo here, which is the next episode, episode eight, the finale. And at the end of episode seven, I want to pull the trigger, but my boss says, we should wait a little bit. We were almost there. We almost have our smoking gun. But still, if we bust in right now, we could uh, basically ruin the case because we don't have everything that we need to to get everything, you know, all our pieces in, in a row, all our ducks in a row, you know, so to speak. So we wait, and then episode eight happens. Episode eight is really cool in that it starts again with another total cold opening. And you're like, what the hell is this? As a listener, you'd be very confused at first. It starts off with some weird, like, like sound effects. Huh? What is this? And you hear a guy start reading what sounds like a letter that we would recognize coming from a character named John William James, which I mentioned before, our main suspect. And it sounds like it would be written by him, but you don't know who the voice is. It's a little confusing. And how we figured this out is when we actually got this package, one of the items that came in it was a pen. And at the end of it was um, a USB that popped out. Like You couldn't see it right away, but if you messed with the pen and looked at it, because you get this stuff, and you got to inspect everything you get. you got to look at it. One of the things in uh, one of the packages had... Uh, writing on the back of one of the sheets in in uh, that if you used a black light on it, you could actually read it, you know, like hidden writing for us, like a message, stuff like that. So you got to inspect every piece that you get, read about on the Internet, read history about if they send you, you know, like I said, the Greek mythology or something and figure out how it all is lining up with the characters in the story that you're getting every month. And anyway, the point is, is that um we get this pen with the USB drive and we're trying to crack the USB drive. We plug it into the computer and it's encrypted. So we're like, damn, we're like, oh, how do we do this? And, uh, we'd actually gotten the help from our, our actually, our two sons are actually in the show as well. There's one episode. I forget which one it is now where there's a character named Noah and our son Connor does the voice for that. It's like, it's like five seconds. It's like over and out, but we needed a little boy's voice. And so we're like, Hey, you know, we have a younger son. How about you do it? And he was like, all right, I'll do it. And I th- I forget, again, which episode this is. is they all kind of blend together when, when you do this for a long time. But I think episode seven, I, I want to say, we get help from a character named Pro- Professor Ravenclaw. That's actually our son, Aiden. Aiden doesn't actually make an appearance on the podcast in the form of a voice because we couldn't bring Professor Ravenclaw in the show. Is supposed to be like an FBI trainer, right? Like he's like a profiler, like at Quantico in Virginia. So he's like, you know, elite teacher, professor status to FBI agents. We can't have it be our 12 year old. Like people would obviously pick up on his voice, not being like what you would imagine to be an older gentleman or woman. Right. So we're like, that won't work. So we just sort of made his character and just talk about his character helped us solve one of the um, puzzles that we were working on. But yeah, Aiden is Professor Ravenclaw. Anyway, I'm getting off topic here, but back to the the pen. We're trying to figure out the encryption password to see what is on this this thumb drive, right? This USB drive. So we're trying all different sorts of things. This and that. I'm guessing things. Can't figure out anything. And one of the puzzles that we had to solve, which Jess figured out, which was incredible, was We're All Reborn. So Jess said that, and I typed it in. I didn't, I guess, I, I think, I don't know if I used lowercase or what. It didn't work. And I was like, damn, no, nah, that didn't work. So she's messing with it. She gets on the computer, and she's trying out different passwords. And she tries We Are All Reborn, I believe, with capital letters. And it works. And a file opens. And I was like, son of a bitch. Like, every time I do something, it doesn't work right. And I'll just talk about that uh, when we get to the end of how I couldn't solve anything. But so... <laughs> Uh, what ended up happening was a video file opened and it was one of our characters named Jacob Nielsen and he's reading a letter written by John William James and what appears to be John William James periodically walks behind him but you can't see his face it's like cut off the camera's too low you can't see the guy's face just like his like his torso and below and he walks behind Jacob Nielsen who you can clearly see in the video and he's reading the letter and then at the end he just like the guy in the background just slashes his throat and blood is shooting out. So at the beginning of episode eight, we play that video clip that we had figured out, um, figured out the password. So we play that in the very beginning of episode eight. What is this? Huh? What's going on? 
Then it goes into the episode talking about how the latest package that we received was directly from this guy, John William James. Like, oh, shit, the gig is probably up. Like, he's probably figured us out. We've waited too long kind of a thing. And we start by the that eighth package. We started to figure out a lot of the major things that had been, uh, you know, going on throughout the the course of each and every package that we got. Started figuring out some major things like what happened to this woman Lillian Grayson, which is one of the big mysteries. What happened with this guy George Madsen and how he got his name and where his like origins are, um, things like that. And you know, we're ultimately coming to leading to a conclusion. Not all of the things that we thought were going to happen happen. A lot of them didn't, and some of the courses that we went ended up being off course for sure and we were we were wrong and some things were just ended up being like you know loose ends like we never figured out how that had any relevance or blah 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 but most of it was leading in a general direction right which was cool that they this storyline that this fictional storyline that we were playing as a game and making into a podcast was definitely leading towards some sort of a, a, a finale at the end of it here we're doing stuff, and so how we wanted to incorporate that cold opening with the video of Jacob Nielsen getting his throat cut. So on the podcast, you hear it. It starts with that, and then we make no reference to it once we go into the show. Towards the end, the very end of episode eight, we, again, we're looking at the pen, our characters, and we find the USB, and we're trying to solve it, just like we did in real life, right? And I'm guessing stuff, again, just like in real life. I'm guessing different things throughout the show that have been important, not working, not unlocking it. And that we all we are all reborn that Jess suggested, she says to me in the show. I put it in. We just, for editing purposes, we just did a one go of it. It wasn't like, try it in lowercase. It didn't work. Oh, try it in uppercase. We just decided to cut that part out and just make it try we are all reborn. I hit enter in the show, and all of a sudden, a video file you can hear, and it's Jacob Nielsen talking. We didn't want to replay the entire video of Jacob Nielsen reading John William James's letter because I believe it was like six-something minutes, and that would just sound ridiculous, playing that full audio clip again. So we start playing it, and then I bring down his voice, and I start talking over it. I'm like, oh, my God, Like it's Jacob Nielsen, blah, blah, blah. And I'm describing the video, and there's dramatic music again pulled from Deepwater Horizon in the background that fades in. Super dramatic song. And basically, you, we see him get killed, and we're like, oh, crap, we need to go. So I get on the intercom to my FBI office, whatever, police station, and I'm like, we got to go. We got to go. Round up, everybody. And I did some effects on the voice that kind of sound like it was over like a loudspeaker intercom kind of thing. And then we we go to the facility, which I haven't even mentioned, but it's the Darlington Facility of Listening Friends uh, of America, which is basically like a a pen pal service for people who are kind of like in a mental hospital for whatever reason. Um, little, still a little confusing who all is exactly there, but all different kinds of people. And the game is really cool and intricate because they built full-blown real websites online that you can go search around everything that are part of the game. They're integrated in. Like, there's no spoilers on them. They're part of the game for you to look around the internet on these websites of listening Friends of America and find out information about people who work there and stuff like that. It's all part of this creative fake world that Hunt a Killer made. It's really cool. Anyway, the point is, is that we send up our task force, whatever, and we go and we hit this campus, right? Because we want to get this guy, John William James. We have suspected for a long time that he is a murderer. He is some sort of a Hannibal Lecter type character. He's a he's a mastermind. Uh, he plays people. He's kind of cultish, like a cult leader. He plays people, makes him do his bidding. Uh, he makes this girl, Heather, do his bidding in the in the show, in the game. So, we got to go to this campus. We obviously have all the proof we need now. He kills somebody on a video. So we got to go get him. So the music fades up. It's very dramatic. And then it fades down. And then it comes back up again with a much more subtle song. And I couldn't figure out any way to like. Basically, our case didn't end. How do I put this? Our case didn't end 
with us catching the character who we thought was the murder. Like in real life, this happened. We didn't, we weren't like, yes, we've got him. That's it. It ended up basically that our character escapes at the end of our, the actual game that we're playing, the hunt a killer game. He basically escapes this facility and we missed him. So we're, we're like, okay, how do we incorporate that ending into our podcast, but make it sound interesting? Because in some ways that might be kind of a letdown, right? You've listened for eight episodes building about this cold case and this and that. And all of a sudden, like he just gets away and it's over. So we wanted to do our own twist on it and change things up for our, our fictional podcast story. So basically the music rises and I talk about how we went to this facility, to this campus, looking for the guy. Everybody knew who he was, but we couldn't find him. And he had wreaked havoc on the place, killed numerous employees and whatnot, which again, if you've listened, you know, or now, you know, (laughs) if you ever do end up listening to the series and we go there and we can't find him and he ends up, he basically, he's gone. He just vanishes. Right. And it's been some time after and I'm basically reflecting at the end of the show on what we went through and how this guy ruined people's lives and how it affected me, how I couldn't sleep and all these different things. And that music fades out and then another song rises up and that song is from the last song you hear pretty much is from a haunting at Hill house, which if you've never seen that show, that is a fantastic ghost story. Uh, Netflix show haunting at Hill house. Can't give it enough praise. I jack a song from that soundtrack. Um, that is one of the last songs that you hear. It's this great piano tune it is so, uh, I, I'm not exactly sure the words of how the song makes me feel. It's very passionate. It's definitely has some sad undertones to it, but it is very gripping and it is definitely intense and it is an emotional song. And I had long picked out the last four songs in a row that I was going to use for the show. Like even before we had the last few packages and knew where the storyline was even going, I had already lined up these ones. I was like, I'm going to incorporate these because this is exactly how I want to end the show is with these four songs in a row, basically. And it worked out perfectly with how the show did end. Long story short, I'm talking about everybody that was affected by this. And that, you know, he got away. We're still looking for him, but he got away. And, you know, you should always keep your eyes open because you never know when a friend, a neighbor, or a lover could just be John William James. And he's hiding in plain sight, you know, right under your nose. He didn't even know it. It was this crazy mastermind murder. So it ends there, right? And then you hear a little interlude music again, which I played earlier. And... You're like, oh, wow, I can't believe that you didn't, if you're looking at your uh, phone or whatever it is that you're listening to the show and you're like, oh, man, there's only like two minutes left. Like, all right, well, I guess maybe there'll be a season two or something like, I guess he got away with it. You know, he got away, outsmarted this, uh, this group of police and FBI. Then it, there's an ending scene and it is Jess and I, it's 10 months later. So it is our, uh, uh, anniversary. It's our first year anniversary. And I surprise Jess and I tell her that I want to take her to Nebraza, which is a restaurant. And that is a real restaurant. And that is here uh, about 45 minutes away from where we live. And it is a Brazilian steakhouse and it is freaking delicious. It's like an all you can eat steakhouse. It's incredible. They run around, they chop up the meats for you. We've gone there twice for anniversaries and stuff. Absolutely delicious. So again, we incorporated that into the show. We go there for our first anniversary in the podcast when I think we've actually gone there for our third and fifth anniversaries in real life. So cool. Another thing that we incorporate with our characters and there's a knock on the door and in the show, I just tell her, I'm like, Hey, go get dressed. We got reservations. We got to go. She's like, okay. She's like, who is that? I'm like, I don't know. I'll get it. And just real nonchalantly, my character opens the door, which again is all fake. Me walking to the door, the door knock, opening the door, all fake, just sound effects online that I edited together. I open the door. I'm like, hi, I'm like, can I help you? And in this real deep, sultry voice, you hear someone go, well, hello, my dearest friend. 
And all of the letters that came from this John William James guy, who's our main suspect, the murderer, he started all of his letters with my dearest friend. Okay, so we want to incorporate that in the end. And that is basically like, boom, like a, like a mic drop, like open-ended. Now music comes in and fades away, and it's like a special ending where I talk about each who plays each character. It's end credits, essentially, end credits of like a, a season of like, you know, if you're watching a TV show or whatever, it's kind of like that. So what happens, right? I wanted to build that in because in our actual case, the, the, the guy got away. We never got him. There was really no final conclusion. It, I would assume, continues farther into the seasons as you go. But for our purposes of building the show, we had no real ending. So we decided that we were going to have this surprise at the very end where, lo and behold, the one guy that we were looking for throughout the whole show shows up at our front door. He knew where we lived. He had figured it out. And I guess it's up to you to decide, was this John William James character coming to kill us? You know, or what was he doing at these FBI agents that had been hunting him? You know, they he ended up showing up at their front door. So that was kind of our cool little twist that we added to the story uh, for the the finale of of our show. And at the end of the show, like I said, there's like kind of like an end special ending credits. What I had done at the end of each episode was very brief. I wanted it to be very minimal because there's so much information in these podcasts that. The end of each show, the first seven shows, just end where there's like a doom, doom, and I'm like, edited by Phil Allen, doom, doom, you know, based on Hunt a Killer, doom, doom, and it's over. It's real short, like, ending. For the very last episode, because it's like the end of a series, you know, it's a, a capper, so to speak, I wanted to make it more lengthy, and I had picked out this track, like I said, ages ago, knowing that it would be the final track. And I say, you know, Special Agent Jess is Jessica Allen, you know, Detective Allen is, is Phil Allen is Detective Allen, blah, blah, blah. And I say all the different characters that are in FBI, Matt Geary, everybody, talk about all them. Edited by, based on, out, right? It's over, it's done. So what? Who cares? Whatever. So for me, it was a really fun experience because, like I've said many times now, I love editing. So to be able to build a fake world and have our Jess and I, who are just regular Joe Schmoes, be these like FBI people and stuff was really fun to put this together and write these scripts that were lengthy. I mean, these were like 12-page scripts that we would have to read on top of all of the other information that actually came in the package that we read on each show. So it was a, a ton of information to piece together to try to make it cohesive as possible. And I had an absolute blast doing it with my wife. One of my favorite things definitely about doing this show was it, it was so much fun to do it with my wife. I love you, babe. It was awesome sharing this experience with you. And it's hard to get my wife on the show sometimes. You know, she's been on some Phil Interrupted episodes for sure, you know. And, but it, we had never worked as closely together as we did on this one. And I want to give Jess a lot of credit. Because in real life, solving each package, Jess solved, like, almost every puzzle, riddle, confusing thing she looked up. She did so much more research than me. I mean, I tried. Don't get me wrong. I tried to figure out these different ciphers and these damn things and the letters and numbers. If you add this one up and the stupid swivel thing, you guys don't know what I'm talking about. It's all in front of me with this big giant poster board that we hung up and we would tape things to. It was like a real, it's like a real crime scene investigation going on in my house. And we would pin stuff to it. It's a really fun game, The Hunt the Killer. I definitely recommend it. And we would try to work through it and... My wife, Jess, she solved, I kid you not, 95 plus percent of all of the, the puzzles and little tricks, the hidden messages. She she figured them all out. I did next to nothing. It was, I give her all the credit in the world. And I do give her credit even in the show. My character is like, you know, she's brilliant. Like, damn, she's good because I wasn't solving shit. She was figuring it all out in real life. She really was. So her her attention to detail is excellent, and she was very good. She would make a good cop. I think that I would kind of suck. Maybe I should just be like a beat cop, you know, like working on the street, because not so good at the actual detective work. So it was so much fun 
doing it with her and I was trying to get her on the show here, but it didn't work out even though, you know, the bedroom is right above the studio and she's here, you know, all the time and we probably could have recorded. We just never got it together. But she said, I said, if you, do you have any words you want me to say on your behalf, you know, for the behind the curtains hunting a killer episode? And she said, yeah, yeah, I, I do. I said, all right, what is it? She says, it was fun and interesting. Simple and to the point, uh, special agent Jess, it was fun and it was interesting. But again, I, um, she was amazing. She was amazing at solving it. I thought that she had an, a really awesome voice for her character on the show. Jess was nervous about doing it at first, clearly, but I think she nailed it. I think her her voice acting is spot on. I think in some of the parts when her and uh, her character and my character are interacting, she's doing a way better job than me. And I've been doing podcasting for years. Like, I'm comfortable being on the mic right now. It doesn't bother me. I don't care whether I, I talk like this or I get ridiculous. Like, it, I don't, I don't feel, you know, like embarrassment or anything about it. I just, I'm so used to this. But she wasn't. And she came on and she did awesome voice acting. Like really, really quality good stuff from somebody who's not used to being on the microphone. So fantastic job all around. Uh, had an absolute blast doing this. Now, Jess and I have continued doing the Hunt a Killer series that started this whole idea. And we're on season two right now. And we were like, oh, should we do a season two of our podcast and continue the storyline? But I'll tell you what, it got really hard to finish these episodes the further that we went on. Because life gets in the way, man. You got you got kids, you got birthday parties, you Christmas, holidays, vacations, just everyday life. And you were so busy. And it became harder and harder for us to continue to get the shows out. So if you notice, like, the first, like, four or five shows come out, like, pretty quickly. Like, all, like within a month of each other as we were getting these packages like pretty quick. And then it started getting harder and harder to work on the case. And so the shows got delayed like longer and longer. Not that there was any, you know, timetables on it or anything, but like deadlines, nobody cares. We did it on our own time. We got it finished, but we were like, Ooh, if we start season two, like it's going to be so stretched out. Like it probably won't be as cohesive. So that's also the reason why we had our killer, come back at the very end of episode eight to, like I said, this sort of uh, put a finishing touch onto the series because I highly doubt there's going to be a season two. So I think this was a one and done uh, eight episode series, this drama, this cold case, mysterious uh, drama that we put together from my perspective. It was so much fun. It really was. I've always wanted to do something like this and I never knew how to do it. And I'm not, I'm creative in that like we came up with the scripts and all the different storylines mixed in with, with our, our cold case we worked on, but I didn't really, I wouldn't have been able to come up with all this information and make it as interesting as it was without the help of this game. You know, this was really important to have all this extra material to, to work off of, to base stuff off of. And, uh, I had always wanted to do like a radio play or radio drama. I just, I'm just, I couldn't come up with that much stuff, you know? So this was a perfect outlet uh, to have a lot of fun with my wife and I outside of the podcast trying to solve things. And then me taking mostly the work that Jess did and finding a way to make it sound really cool in an audio format for people to listen to. I'm an amateur. I'm not a professional. I don't get paid to do this. It's not something, you know... Um, I did go to school for audio production and stuff like that. So I do have a background in it. It's something I've always been passionate. You know, if you've listened to other shows, you know that I've, I have written music in the past. And uh, so I obviously have, you know, some experience with, with music and editing and I like doing it. So for me, that was the funnest part was being able to put this all together and hopefully a format that, that works for a general listener. And they had fun uh, trying to figure out the case along with us. Um, as we were figuring it out. So basically, those are my closing words. So again, if you have listened to the series, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the eight-part series, Hunting a Killer. If you have not, and you listen to this, well, you just ruined it, basically. You now know who the killer is. <laughs> um, but either way, uh, go back and listen to it. And uh, maybe some of these things that you heard me talk about tonight will be kind of fun to try to find them 
uh, when you listen to the uh, the show again. So again, you can find it on Apple Podcasts or you can find it on CircularLogicStudios.com. Hunting a killer. All right, guys, that's it. I don't have anything more for you. So with the dramatic music playing, this behind the curtains episode, Hunting a Killer, it's over. Guys, thanks for listening. Peace out. Someone really good. So... God damn, these dogs won't stop barking. Shut up! No! No! Stop! Be quiet! Ugh, driving me crazy.